Well, hello again, everybody. I have got a special treat for you today for episode 175 of the Straight A Nursing Podcast, and that is an entire episode that is a pod quiz. So if you've never done a pod quiz before, you are in for a treat, my friend. Pod quizzes are a fantastic way to study using auditory learning that's not just passive listening. It's very active and very engaged. So here is how it works. I ask a question and then I pause to give you time to think of and say the answer. Then I tell you the answer. It's kind of like we're doing flashcards together, but we're listening to them instead of looking at and reading them. So the absolute best part about studying this way is you can study while you do something else. It frees you from your desk. You can exercise, fold the laundry, organize the pantry, take the dog for a walk. You don't have to sit at your desk 24-7, especially if you learn well by listening. So time to cue the confetti. <laughs> Let's do this pod quiz together and see how much you love it. And if you want to get more pod quizzes, I want you to check out my members-only podcast, Study Sesh. This pod quiz you're about to listen to is straight from Study Sesh itself. So if you like it, if that's your jam, then I want you to go check it out at straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. And I'll link to that in the show notes for you as well. So this pod quiz covers cardiac pharmacology, not everything about cardiac pharmacology, of course, but some key components. So what I want you to do is get up from your desk right now, pop in your earbuds, get your walking shoes on, identify a productive project that we're going to do together for the next little bit. But before we do that, let's take a quick minute for the listener shout out. And this one is from Lydia, who has a really great story to share. So Lydia says, the other day I listened to your podcast on Ondansetron, and tonight during my shift, I noticed my patient with liver failure was prescribed on Dancitron, four to eight milligrams every six to eight hours PRN for her nausea. She had already been given two doses of eight milligram in the past 24 hours. So because of your podcast, I knew that this dosage and frequency should be reviewed because of her liver failure. Thank you so much for your podcast. I always listen to my inner voice now when I see a podcast topic and think, I should probably learn about that because if I don't, then I will always have a patient with that exact issue and I wish I would have listened. You helped me in nursing school and you're still helping me as a new nurse. Please don't stop this amazing podcast. Lydia, I think it is great that you listen to your inner voice. I call that my nurse angel voice. She sits on my shoulder and whispers in my ear. Sometimes she shouts, but a lot of the time she whispers. So I've definitely learned to listen to that for sure. And I'm so glad you're learning that as well. Okay, you guys, are you ready to get started doing this pod quiz? Let's get to it. What are Two continuous infusions that could be used to treat persistent sinus bradycardia. 
epinephrine, and dopamine. Though I would say if a patient has persistent bradycardia, they're probably in line to get a pacemaker. What is the initial dose for atropine when treating a symptomatic bradycardia using ACLS guidelines? So this would be IV push atropine. 0.5 milligrams given IV. Your patient has chronic atrial fibrillation. What kinds of medications will they be taking? So definitely, most likely, something to control the rate. That could be a beta blocker, a calcium channel blocker, maybe some digoxin, and then an anticoagulant to prevent stroke. What medication in your ACLS guidelines is used to treat supraventricular tachycardia, SVT? That drug is adenosine. What is the standard dose? For adenosine. First dose, 6 milligrams IV. Second dose, 12 milligrams IV. What are some medications used for bradycardia? So some really common ones are atropine, glycopyrrolate, and epinephrine. What is the treatment for sinus tachycardia? We're always going to try to treat that underlying cause. What is the treatment for asymptomatic sinus bradycardia? Again, tackle the underlying cause. Sometimes patients have a sinus bradycardia and are asymptomatic because that's just where they live and they are perfectly fine with that. So it's important to determine the patient's baseline when you're assessing for a bradycardia. And of course, always looking to see if they have symptoms associated with that slower heart rate. What is atropine used to treat? We use atropine for symptomatic sinus bradycardia. Why would you sometimes see atropine used for a patient in an accelerated idioventricular rhythm? So atropine could increase the underlying sinus rate enough to inhibit that accelerated idioventricular rhythm. So you may see it used for that. What medication is commonly used to treat a wide complex ventricular tachycardia if the patient is not unstable? That would be amiodarone, commonly used. What medication is used to treat torsades de Pointe? For that, we give IV magnesium. What medication is used in ventricular fibrillation? We're giving the epi and we are shocking that fibrillation. Defib the V-fib. What is the ACLS treatment for asystole? The ACLS treatment for asystole is high quality CPR and epinephrine. What medications are used in stable paroxysmal atrial tachycardia. So in a stable atrial tachycardia, you might see 
beta blockers given IV calcium channel blockers like diltiazem, verapamil, maybe IV amiodarone if others are ineffective. What dose of amiodarone is given in emergency cardiac situations? It is a 300 milligram loading dose followed by 150 milligrams for that second dose. How many milligrams is each dose of epinephrine in cardiac emergency situations? That is one milligram. What concentration of epinephrine is used when given IV for a cardiac emergency? The IV concentration of epinephrine is 1 to 10,000. How do loop and thiazide diuretics lead to hypokalemia? And these are medications commonly used to treat heart failure. So increases in the concentration of sodium at the distal tubule stimulate reabsorption of sodium in exchange for potassium and hydrogen, which are excreted in the urine, causing hypokalemia. What does Trental pentoxyphylline do? Trental, generic name, pentoxyphylline. It decreases blood viscosity to improve blood flow to the extremities. What is a common IV antihypertensive commonly given for patients in hypertensive crisis? And it's okay to name a few because there may be different choices based on the patient's response. So one might be nitroprusside, one might be nicardipine, another one labetalol, maybe esmolol, one of the alols. Your patient with peripheral artery disease is experiencing a graft occlusion. What type of drugs do you anticipate being ordered? So common things could be thrombolytic drugs, platelet inhibitors, or antiplatelet drugs. What type of medication is Reopro, R-E-O-P-R-O? That is a platelet inhibitor. Does epinephrine increase or decrease cardiac excitability? Epinephrine increases cardiac excitability. So what does it do to heart rate? Heart rate goes up. Excellent. Does dopamine increase or decrease heart rate and contractility? Dopamine does both. It will increase heart rate and increase contractility. We say it's an inotrope in that it is going to increase the force of that contraction and a chronotrope, it is going to increase the rate. What medication, when you give it to your patient, stops the heart for like six to seven seconds? And then hopefully it comes back in sinus rhythm. That drug is adenosine. Very good. 
What should the patient avoid drinking if they're taking a calcium channel blocker or aldosterone receptor antagonists? No grapefruit juice for that patient. Your patient is taking digoxin, and you're going to teach them to count their heart rate. Why? Because digoxin will slow the heart rate. So typically, patients will not take their digoxin if their heart rate is below 60. What do beta blockers do to the heart rate? Beta blockers are going to slow it down. What do beta blockers do to contractility? They're going to decrease the contractility. Why are patients with diabetes advised to use beta blockers with caution? So beta blockers can block some of the signs of hypoglycemia. So that would be dangerous for someone to be hypoglycemic but not have the typical signs because the beta blocker is stopping them from showing. What do vasodilators do to afterload? They're going to decrease afterload. Excellent. What does digoxin do to contract of the heart. Digoxin increases that contractility of the heart. Patients with pulmonary edema sometimes get morphine. Why is that? So morphine causes some bronchodilation, some vasodilation, reduces that feeling of air hunger for the patient and also helps to calm them. What class of drugs ends in OLOL? O-L-O-L. Those are your beta blockers. Excellent. So what do beta blockers do? We talked about how they slow the heart rate, but how do they do that? They're going to slow that conduction across the AV node. What class of drugs ends in P-I-N-E, peen? Those are your calcium channel blockers like nicardipine, very common calcium channel blocker. What do calcium channel blockers do to coronary arteries? They dilate them. Very, very good. What are some really common side effects of nitroglycerin? Headache is a very common one. Nausea and dizziness as well. Patients with what respiratory conditions should use beta blockers with caution? So patients with COPD, patients with asthma, they need to make sure that if they're taking a beta blocker, that it is cardioselective so that the beta blocker really only exerts its influence mainly on the heart because there can be bronchospasm with other beta blockers and you don't want to cause bronchospasm in someone who's already prone to bronchospasms. 
Your patient's had a myocardial infarction and the MD has prescribed an ACE inhibitor. Why is that? So ACE inhibitors help prevent remodeling and remodeling leads to hypertrophic change in the heart, which then will not function as efficiently. What does a thrombolytic medication do? A thrombolytic will break up and dissolve clots. What pathway do ACE inhibitors disrupt? ACE inhibitors disrupt the RAS pathway. What are the components of the RAS pathway? Just tell me what the letters stand for. So it's renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. Very good. Looking at that RAS pathway, the kidneys release what, which converts angiotensinogen into what? So the kidneys release renin, which converts angiotensinogen into angiotensin 1. Excellent. What converts angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2? That is angiotensin-converting enzyme, also known as ACE, and that's where we get the name ACE inhibitors. What two hormones does angiotensin 2 stimulate the release of, one by the pituitary and one by the adrenal cortex? So the one by the pituitary is antidiuretic hormone, and the one by the adrenal cortex is aldosterone. What suffix do ACE inhibitors end in? So how would you know a drug looking at it that, oh, that looks like an ACE inhibitor? They end in PRIL, P-R-I-L. Angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, work by disrupting what? They also disrupt the RAS pathway. Very good. Angiotensin receptor blockers, ARBs, end in the suffix what? What suffix? Sartan, S-A-R-T-A-N. A medication that inhibits the reabsorption of sodium in the renal tubules will lead to what? Diuresis. Excellent. Hydrochlorothiazide is an example of what type of medication? That's a thiazide diuretic. What about spironolactone? That is an example of what type of medication? It's also a diuretic. More specifically, it's a potassium-sparing diuretic. So what lab value do you want to watch closely in patients who are taking a loop diuretic like furosemide? That would be potassium. Watch that very closely. What suffix do beta blockers end in? That is olol, O-L-O-L. Digoxin is going to cause Increased or decreased contractility? 
increased. And then is it going to cause increased or decreased heart rate? Decreased heart rate. Now, digoxin works by inhibiting what pump in the membranes of the heart? Digoxin works by inhibiting the sodium potassium ATPase pump in the membranes of the heart. What is the antidote for digoxin toxicity? It's called Digibind. And tell me some signs that the patient has digoxin toxicity. So the hallmark signs that seem to always show up on exams are bradycardia, the patient seeing yellow, and being nauseous. So that seeing yellow, the bradycardia, the nausea, think digoxin toxicity. What will arterial vasodilators do to afterload? They will reduce it. What will venous vasodilators do to preload? They will also reduce on the preload side. How do you prevent nitrate tolerance from occurring? So you want to use the lowest possible dose that will be effective for the patient. And we do something called um, taking a drug holiday. That might be what you hear it called. Basically, we are creating uneven or discontinuous plasma levels with a regular drug-free period. So if your patient is taking nitroglycerin as a paste, you'll notice that once a day or so, you take off the nitro pace and let them have a drug-free period for a while. Your patient has a blood pressure of 84 over 53 and currently has nitroglycerin paste on his chest. What should you do? So if your patient has nitro paste on and they become hypotensive, you remove the paste. Typically, that is a standing MD order to remove the paste. Um, that nitro paste causes decreased blood pressure. And then I would check to make sure that they don't have any other nitro paste on their body. It's very possible that someone didn't realize that they had some somewhere else. So check for other nitro paste on the patient. Aldosterone inhibitors like spironolactone inhibit or enhance remodeling. They inhibit remodeling. And tell me two key functions of spironolactone. So it is a diuretic, a potassium sparing one. We talked about that earlier. And an aldosterone inhibitor to inhibit remodeling. Okay. How did you love that? Did you see how doing these pod quizzes can really help free you from your desk while still enabling you to study and review in a really, really engaged way. So if you love it, I want to invite you to go check out study sesh, straightynursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. Most of the episodes are pod quizzes, but there are drills there are case studies and there are power hours where we take a deep dive into very foundation concepts. So 
I'm super excited about it. People are loving it. And I would hate for you to miss out on this awesome way to study because it really is liberating and amazing to get up from your desk once in a while and still feel really, really productive. So next week on the Sturdy Nursing Podcast, we are going to be talking about some maternal newborn stuff, labor induction. So you'll definitely want to come back and check that one out. See you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.